You're listening to a recorded version of the sessions. All interaction from the participants are removed, but the questions are still there. So please feel free to pause and reflect whenever questions are thrown out. So this is our new series called He Is. This is our first session and it's going to be over six weeks where we're going to be looking at very important statements that Jesus says about himself in the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John was a book that was written about the life of Jesus by one of his closest disciples, who goes by the name of John, which is no surprise. But why have we gone for this as our theme? Why are we looking at who Jesus is right now? Well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's so much death and suffering. And then there's the huge ripple effects of this pandemic as well. Our mental health, um, jobs, businesses, money, finances, that, that there's hunger and poverty issues even here in London. And then that's on top of the usual struggles we have in life. Regular illnesses such as cancer still remain. Relationship issues, we're stuck in our houses together. Domestic abuse is on the rise. I've heard someone describe this pandemic as, as like a magnifying glass that makes issues that were there before even bigger. T times are intense right now. The amount of people I know around me that are going through hard times, just about keeping their heads above water. So what do we do? Well, the thing is, in these situations, we normally tend to look inwards and our world encourages us to. We're a self-help society. Help yourself, be the change. But the Bible's answer is different. And that's what we're going to look at in these sessions. The Bible says the answer isn't in you. Look outside yourself for the answer. Look above all this chaos around you. Because we weren't made to live independently. We were made by someone for a reason. That means you're not an accident. And until you look to the one who made you, nothing is really going to make sense in this life. And the huge claim of the Bible is that this God who made us, he's, he's not just some higher power out there like many believe today, or he's not just a distant being that's kind of stepped away and, and left us to life. No, he, God is near. He wants to be known by us, so much so that he became a man over 2,000 years ago and lived among us. This is the big claim of the Bible. It's the big claim of John's gospel. God entered the world he made, and Jesus is his name. And through Jesus, this unknown God out there somewhere becomes known. This chaotic life that doesn't make sense starts to make sense. This is what John's gospel makes so clear. And what we're going to do in this series week by week is get to know Jesus, who he is, particularly by what he said about himself. In John's gospel, Jesus says seven statements about himself, all beginning with I am. Now, the words I am itself says a lot. <laughs> It refers to the name God personally called himself in the Old Testament. So when Jesus says, I am in this way, it's telling us God is speaking. God as a man is speaking. But also each statement tells us something very important about Jesus. So he says, I'm the bread of life, for example, the light of the world. And they relate directly to us now. They don't just tell us about Jesus. They relate to us because Jesus says he's bread. Well, we know bread is to be eaten. Jesus says he's light. Well, light shines in the darkness. So the point is, when we truly know who he is, it can change everything for us. It has a direct effect on us. So tonight we're on session one. 
and we will be looking at how Jesus is food for our souls. That's our title, food for our souls. And we're in John chapter six, and we're looking at a conversation that Jesus has with a large crowd. But before we get into the conversation, I'm just going to talk about what's happened up until this point in the chapter of John chapter six. We find firstly a large crowd is following Jesus due to the miracles that he had been doing. Now, when you think of some of these miracles, it's not surprising. He turned water to wine. He healed the paralyzed, the blind, just to name a few. Now, you'd want to see that for yourself. So it's not surprising that there's this big crowd following. And in chapter six, Jesus and the disciples go away to a quiet place, a wilderness, but they're followed by the crowd. And then it gets late. And the people are clearly hungry by this point, but it's an empty place. It's a wilderness. There's no food around. Well, no food except five loaves and two fish that a lad had. But what's that for so many people? There was 5,000 men there, let alone the women and the children to add to that. But this is Jesus. And he performs yet another amazing miracle. He feeds the whole crowd from that tiny amount of food, five loaves, two fish. And they're all filled, satisfied, and there's 12 baskets left over. Abundance. Then the crowd are dismissed. And the next day, Jesus and the disciples are on the other side of the sea. They've, they've moved position. But the crowd want more. They're still following Jesus the next day. We read in verse 24 of chapter 6. They themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So this is where we enter a big conversation between Jesus and the crowds. Now, it's a long conversation, so we're only going to read the first part of it. So we're going to be reading John chapter 6, verse 25 to 36. John chapter 6, verse 25 to 36. This is what we read. When the crowd found him, that's Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, Give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So that's the passage we're looking at. And did you spot the I am statement there? Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, I wonder what you think Jesus means there. What's he getting at when he says, I'm the bread of life? What do you think he's talking about? 
Well, to help understand what it means, we have to move through this conversation step by step because there's a lot of back and forth going on between Jesus and the crowd. And it all begins with the crowd finding Jesus all excited, saying, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, if you read the chapter six, it was actually a miracle how Jesus got there. The night before, he had walked on water to the disciples who were in a boat traveling across the sea to that side that they were on the next day. Now, you might think Jesus would draw attention to that. When the crowds ask, when did you come here? He could easily say, well, I walked on water to get here. It's certainly what maybe YouTubers and influencers might do today. They would do anything to keep a crowd. But Jesus ignores this crowd's question and he gets right to the point. He doesn't answer their question. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He's basically saying, you're not really seeking me. You just want another free meal again, like the day before. And then he says this, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Now, what do you think Jesus is getting at here? He's saying a very important truth. It's a bit of a wake up call. Well, think about food. No sooner after we eat are we hungry again in a few hours, a couple hours if, if you're me. And Jesus is saying something here. He's saying you're living for temporary things. Everything you're living for in this life perishes. Now, that word perish carries this idea of something being lost, destroyed forever. And it's not just food. And um, we see in this chapter, even the crowd, they tried to make Jesus king the day before when he did that miracle with the food. They tried to grab him by force and make him king. Now, that's saying a lot because it's pointing to the fact that they're living for the present again, because their present situation was that the Romans occupied Israel. So these, this crowd was under occupation. So when they saw Jesus do this miracle, they thought, wow, this could be the guy that could change things for us as a nation. They were caught up with this present life. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, do not work for the food that perishes. And the thing is, how many of us do the same? I wonder if you, if you thought to yourself, what ways do we do that? What ways do we live as though this is all there is? What, what ways do we live for things that perish? I wonder if COVID has woken us up to this, maybe. The fragility of life, the temporary nature of life. Well, Jesus wakes the crowd up here and says, everything you're living for right now will all come to an end. That means no matter what we eat, how much we eat it, whatever we get in this life, how rich or popular we become, it's all going to come to an end. We're all going to die. Now, normally that's a conversation killer. No one likes to be reminded of that. Imagine what people today might respond to Jesus. They might say, what's wrong with living for this life? What else is there to live for? That This life is all we've got. We're making the most of it. I don't know if you've seen um, before Richard Dawkins and his um, campaign on buses, this quote, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. I like how he says there's probably no God. He can't say it with any certainty. But essentially his message is just live for the now. Don't worry about God. Don't worry about eternity. Have fun. Live for now. 
Now, the thing is, there would be nothing wrong with this approach to life if this was all there is. If there was no God and there really was nothing after death, there would be nothing wrong with that approach. That would be logical. But listen to Jesus here. He's plainly saying that there is eternal life. He says, work for the food that endures to eternal life. He's essentially saying there is eternal life on offer here. There's food that can give you life forever. He's essentially saying there's more than this. You've settled too easily. You're satisfied with too little. You were made for more than this. You were made for more than just to work, eat, sleep and repeat until you die. He's saying physical food can only sustain you for a bit, but I can give you food that can make you live forever. Now, let's take this at face value for a minute. Imagine today if someone came up with some type of food that if you ate it, it meant you would never hunger again and that you lived forever because of it. Imagine how frantic people would go for that. We've seen how frantic people went for toilet roll when the pandemic first hit. Well, Jesus is plainly saying that here. He's saying, I can give you food that gives eternal life. Now, we need to take the shock of that in. Jesus is saying something huge here. But he's also saying so much more than just that. When Jesus speaks about eternal life, it's not just about length of time. It's not just about life going on forever. Because in truth, some people hate the thought of that because they just compare it to the miserable life they've had here. They're saying, I don't want to live forever. Look at the life I've had here. I don't want that going on forever. But when Jesus says eternal life here, he's speaking of a full, abundant life. It's a life we've never tasted before. It's why it's called born again. I don't know if you've heard the term born again Christian before, but born again carries with it that idea of a new life, a new birth. Ask a Christian, ask someone who's found Jesus for themselves, and they will tell you that their life only truly began when they came to Jesus. And another thing I want to say about this life is this is the life we deep down really want. We hunger for it. Think about it. We know there's more to life than just filling our stomachs. We face, we chase so much more than that. And it's because we always have two hungers going on in our lives at the same time. We've got one in our stomachs and one in our soul. And Jesus is tapping into the second hunger, the hunger of our souls. I wonder if you've noticed that hungry soul, that second hunger, that hidden hunger. Take a moment maybe and look at your own life. If someone viewed your daily life, what would they think? Would they see someone whose soul is hungry, running around, frantically searching? Would they see someone who keeps returning to the same things again and again and again, but are never quite satisfied, always left empty? Can anyone think of any examples where we do this, where we chase and chase and chase and are never satisfied? Have a little think in your own life. The thing is, we're addicted people. We run to drugs, highs, sex, approval, binge watching of Netflix, maybe, searching for significance, love, social media. We chase and chase. I think one look at our world and it's clear we're a world full of hungry souls. Jim Carrey put it well. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Jim Carrey, someone who gained everything he wanted, fame, 
rich, power, influence, comedian. But he says it's not the answer. He was left empty. And it's because no matter what we find in this life, it's never enough to fill our soul. We have a hungry soul that is never satisfied. And the question we must ask, we must ask this question before we move on. Why are we hungry? Why is there a soul hunger? What's missing? Well, the Bible's short answer to that question is God is missing. It says we were made by God and for God. We were made to live forever with God. Think about it like this. Eternal life and God go hand in hand. If you go to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, you see it. Humans and God living together forever. And there was literally food at, in that beginning that gave eternal life. There was a tree of life in that garden and you could eat from it and you would live forever. So the point is, as long as humans were with God, they lived forever. But we know that's not our reality today. And it's because we walked out on God. We rejected him. We sinned against him. And what came through sin? Death. The reason why we die is because we sin. We've sinned against the God of life. Eve, in the beginning, turned to other food, Adam and Eve, fruit from another tree. But it was food that only left them hungry. It was food that only gave death. And we make that same mistake now. We reject God and turn to other things that only destroy us. It's called idolatry, the heart of our sin. We worship other things instead of God, things that are not God. And we're left empty. And the thing is, we can't get back to God now. The way is barred. So we're without God. And because we're without God, we're without life. We may be physically living at the moment, but it's temporary and empty. You could see it like this. We're a world of wilderness, searching for soul food, but always left empty. And here's the thing. In comes Jesus to our wilderness and says, I can give you that missing piece. I can fill that empty space inside you forever. I can give you eternal life. But to receive it, he says here, you must see your need. Stop focusing only on the food that perishes. Look for that eternal life. He says to the crowd, take your eyes off the temporary for a minute. Look at eternity. Put that first. Now, imagine if you were in that crowd, what would you ask at this point? Jesus has just laid things on a plate. He says, I can give you eternal life. What would you ask? Maybe how? That would be the big question. And that's exactly what the crowd asked next. They ask, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do? That's verse 28. It's a big question. They're essentially saying, Jesus, you've told us about this food that gives eternal life. You said work for it. What must we do to get it then? And isn't that a big question many still ask today? Religious people live for this question. How much? What do I, what do, I do? How do I get to heaven? What ritual do I perform? What, what religion do I follow? How good is good enough for heaven? And even those of you who are not religious, you still do it. We're all working hard for that thing that we can't quite explain, but we know that we need. We're obsessed with this question because we have a soul hunger hardwired into us. And there's a surprise and answer to this question. Jesus gives them the answer, but it's the answer that no one was expecting. 
Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Believe, he says. They, the crowd said, what must we do? Jesus says, believe, believe in me. And you think, is that it? If you add up what Jesus has said so far, he says, I can give you eternal life. All you have to do to get it is believe in me. No religious hoops to jump through, just believe. Now, you might think that's too easy. That's too good to be true. What about all the wrong things I've done and the good things that I must do? And also, why Jesus? Why do I have to believe in Jesus? What, what makes him different? That's a huge question today. And the crowd say that very thing. Verse 30 to 31, they say this. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now think about it. This crowd had just witnessed an amazing miracle the day before from Jesus. But now they're saying, what else have you got, Jesus? Come on, prove it. Doesn't that remind us of what we say today? We say things like, if Jesus was standing right in front of me, I'd believe. If God proved himself to me now, I'd believe. Well, here we see, even when Jesus is standing right in front of them performing miracles, it still wasn't enough. What does that tell us about our, our own hearts? And what do the crowd do instead? They refer back to a miracle that happened many years before in the Old Testament, where Moses led the people through the wilderness. And the miracle that they're talking about was this miracle bread called manna given by God directly coming down from heaven. And it appeared every day that people could take as much as they needed. And they were literally kept alive by this bread in the middle of a wilderness. They had nothing else to eat. Now, doesn't that remind you of the miracle that Jesus did the day before? Well, it links for a reason, because that miracle back in the Old Testament that the crowd are referring to was pointing to Jesus. Look at what Jesus says in response to their example. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is he, Jesus says, it's a person. And then he goes on to say this statement, the statement that we're focusing on tonight, the I am statement. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am, he says, it's me. And then he says this, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus takes the very example they give and says, I am the greater miracle. I am the bread of life. That manna way back then was pointing to me. Think about it. Think about the similarities. Jesus, like that manna, has come down from heaven. That's his big statement. That's the big statement of John. Jesus has come from heaven. He's God. And he's so much greater than that manna because that manna bread back in the Old Testament only gave temporary life. Those who ate it still died. But Jesus says, I can give eternal life, life where you'll live forever. Death will no longer hold you. And it's, it's, it's on a bigger scale as well, because that manna in the Old Testament fed just one nation in a wilderness. Jesus says, I've come to feed the whole world. This is a world mission. This is global. So do you see 
this special bread, this special food that Jesus has been talking about all along that gives eternal life. He's saying, this bread is me. The bread is a person. It's me. Now, this bit is so important to understand because Jesus repeats this point over and over in the rest of the conversation. We didn't read the rest of the conversation, but let me just pick out some parts where Jesus repeats this theme. Listen to this. He gets clearer and clearer as, as he goes on, by the way, and it gets shocking. This is what Jesus says. I am the bread of life. Verse 48. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, pointing to himself, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Wow. Those are some shocking words. He's saying he's given his flesh for the life of the world. But what's he talking about here? The crowd were offended enough when he claimed to come down from heaven. But now he's talking about people eating his flesh. Listen to what the crowd say back in verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's what the crowd say. But Jesus, he doesn't apologize for this statement. He pushes it even further again. Verse 53. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What a statement. And he goes on to say this. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus has completely shocked everyone. No one expected him to say such things. Eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Even the disciples go and say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 60. Even the disciples are shocked. So the big question is, what is Jesus talking about here? How is he the bread of life? What's going on? Have a think. Well, to try and understand that, John 3.16 helps. John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible, one of the most well-known verses. And it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave his son, Jesus, for us from heaven. Like that manna bread, as we're reading about in this chapter. But the question is, what did God give his son for? Why did Jesus come into the world? Well, this is where the bread picture that Jesus is using gets shocking. When Jesus says he is the bread of life, he's speaking about his body being given for us on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Just like in the Old Testament, think about the sacrifices that the Jews were, were told to give in the Old Testament. They were pointing towards this. A sacrifice was necessary for sins. Jesus' body would be broken like bread. His flesh would be torn and pierced. His blood would come pouring out. It's gruesome. It's shocking on the cross. And it's why Jesus uses such shocking language here. Because this is what it takes for sinners like us 
to be offered eternal life by God. Remember, we said earlier, we don't deserve eternal life. We've rejected the God of life. We sin against him daily. We want nothing to do with him. All we deserve for our sins is punishment. And the punishment is death and hell beyond. That's what we deserve. But Jesus, because he so loves us, comes into our world, becomes one of us. And though he did no sin, he says, I will take their punishment, put their sins on me, treat me as though I committed their sins. This is why Jesus died on the cross. This is how he is the bread of life. He gave himself. He gave his body. Because the thing is, he didn't stay dead either. He rose from the dead. So he can now offer us this eternal life now. He lives. And he says to us, do you want to come and join in this eternal life? I've made it possible for you. I've taken your death away if you come. Do you see how this is different to everything else out there today? Think about religious leaders across the world. They say, I have a message from God. Jesus says instead, I am God. I've come down from heaven. Religion says, come and offer your lives. Jesus says, I've offered you my life. Religion says, do all this work to get to heaven. And Jesus says, this is the work of God for you. Believe in me. I've done everything necessary. Now, what do you make of this? Do you see the shock of all this? Because this is where we come to us. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. God has given himself for us. God is hanging on a cross, torn and pierced for us. And he turns to us and says, will you take this offer? I've done it in love. I've done it because I love will you take it? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What a promise. Whoever means whoever, by the way, the crowd back then, you, me today, the man on the street, the queen in Buckingham Palace, whoever. And it's whoever comes to him. Here's the important bit. There is a response required from us. The bread is offered to whoever, but we need to come and eat it. Now, the big question is, again, how do we eat the bread of life? How do we eat Jesus? What, how do we understand this? What's going on? Well, Jesus repeats the word believe over and over in this conversation. And in verse 63, he says it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. What he's saying is to eat the bread of life, we believe Jesus. To eat is to believe. We believe his words, his promises. We take them in like food. This is why Christians keep going on about believing, because it's believing that saves. It's faith in Jesus that saves. Jesus says, I can give you life. This is what he said in the chapter. But we need to respond and say, I trust you, Jesus. I believe in you. I will receive this offer. This is the work you must do, Jesus said. Believe. Jesus has done everything necessary, all the work. We need to come to him and believe. He's paid for all the sin, past, present and future. 
we need to come and confess our sins to him and say, Jesus, please save me. So the question is, do you want this? Then come and eat, Jesus says. Come and believe in me. And this is where the bread analogy that Jesus is using is really important. Because think about it. If you were dying of hunger and someone offered you food on a plate, you wouldn't just lie there and say, I'm sure that looks tasty, smells good. No, you'd grab it and eat it as if your life depended on it. And I think we miss the urgency of this hunger picture sometimes that Jesus is painting here because we live in a world of Deliveroo. Did somebody say just eat? Tesco. We've got food all over the place. We don't have to go long without filling our stomachs. But hunger, that picture of hunger is a picture of urgency. I tasted it recently when I was jogging. I felt more hungry than I've ever been before. I felt faint, actually. And the way I grabbed food, you would, you would, you would have seen the urgency. Grabbed any snack I could find. This is the picture here. It's an urgent picture. Jesus is essentially saying you're dying of hunger. You're going to die. Come and have this food that gives you eternal life. The thing is, until you come to Jesus and believe in him, his death on the cross will have no effect for you. You'll remain outside of heaven, outside of eternal life. It's no use standing there and saying, like many do, yes, I like and respect Jesus. He's a great guy. That's not going to give you life. It's no use having parents that have believed. That's not going to give you life. Or a great family religious tradition. That doesn't give life. Or being baptised as a baby. Or going to church regularly. That doesn't give life. You have to come to Jesus for yourself. And eat from him. Believe in him. Trust in him. Turn from everything else you've been chasing. And put your whole weight of your trust in Christ. Your life in his hands. It's all of you. It's an all or nothing decision. That gives life. That faith gives life. Make it personal. Believe that he died for you. Come to him. Ask him to save you. Repent of sin. No more walking away from God. Walk to him. Come into his arms. Because when you do that, Jesus says, you will never hunger again. Now take that in for a minute. Imagine that hole inside you that's been there your whole life, filled, fully satisfied. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says eternal life. Because Jesus brings you back to peace with God. That's what eternal life is. Life with God forever. Jesus says it in, I think it's John 17. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you sent. That's his definition of eternal life, that they know God. Now, this is amazing. I hope you've seen that this offer is amazing. But the thing is, the, the crowd that day, they didn't see that it was. They walked away. Many didn't take that offer. We started with a big crowd at the beginning of John 6. By the end of John 6, by the end of this conversation, there's 12 left. There's only the disciples that are left at the end. Everyone walks away when Jesus says this. So please don't make the same mistake. If Jesus has brought you near to listen to this, please take the invitation. Because life depends on it. Eternal life depends on it. Heaven or hell. Remember, no one warned of hell in the Bible more than Jesus. And he described hell as a place of weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. No one wants to go there. Jesus doesn't want you to go there. That's why he warned. So, so come to him and eat. Come and believe. Jesus is essentially saying, do you want heaven? He says, I am the bread of life and I'm offering it to you on a plate. And this is not just a statement about who Jesus is, but it's an invitation for you to come and believe in him for yourself and never hunger again. Because Jesus can say many things to us. He can say, I'm this, I'm that. But you're only changed by that truth when you receive him for yourself. So go to him, trust in him. He's there, he's alive. Talk to him, believe in him, believe that he died for your sins. Pray to him and ask for that forgiveness that you need and that eternal life that he gives and you will never hunger again. Now, as we close, I just want to leave a question for you to think about. Who do you relate to most in this passage from the crowd? I just want to split the crowd into a few camps. There was the Jews. Now, the Jews were the ones that grumbled at who Jesus said he was. They didn't like the fact that he was claiming to come down from heaven. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was the only way to eternal life. Can you relate to them? Or maybe you can relate to the wider disciples. The wider disciples had been following Jesus in, in a regular sense. But when they really found out what, what it was to follow Jesus, they walked away. They couldn't take the kind of clarity of this message that, that Jesus was giving himself as bread and you had to eat. And it was only through him. It was a humbling message and many walked away. Then there was Judas. Judas was left there as one of the 12. But Judas was going to betray Jesus. From the outside, it seemed like he was a follower of Jesus, but inside, he was not following Jesus at all. And then finally, here's the last example. I wonder if you can relate to Peter. Right at the end of John 6, after everyone walked away, Jesus turned to the 12 disciples and said, do you want to go away as well? And listen to what Simon Peter answered him. Amazing words. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Listen to those words of faith from Peter. He's saying, where would we go if we were to turn from you, Jesus, to whom else shall we go? You're the one who's filled us. You're the one who's given us life. There's nothing else on offer for us in this world. I wonder if you've seen that. Peter says to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life and we have believed. Peter had believed. They'd come to know that he is the one, the holy one of God. Can you say that for yourself? That is a statement of faith, saving faith. I wonder if that's you.